You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. This is Maddie from the Voluntary Vixens. I'm here, as usual, with my co-host, Jesse, fellow Vixen. And today, we've brought on some friends, um, friends plural. So, one we've had before, and you all probably, hopefully, remember Monica. And I hope you went and did what we told you to do and checked out her show, The Propaganda Report, because today we also have her producer, Binkley. Um, Brad Binkley, I don't know if you go by both or whatever, but we've got the two of them, the dynamic duo, and I'm pretty pumped. What's up? Well, now we're full-on co-hosts because we just do this podcast together ever since I lost my radio show, which I think died of COVID-19. So Binkley was my (laughs) producer on that, and now we're doing this daily show, which I personally think is better than anything we could have done on WSB because... Well, we couldn't get very far on WSB once the Corona time started. After eight and a half years on the air, that was the end of it. So a lot has happened since last time we talked. It really is a shame um, that you're not on the air anymore. I was thinking about it the other day because I was actually driving home. And so I was thinking about, well, obviously I used to listen to the Drive Time News Blast on my drives home. I I would also think about how insanely awesome it was to have like a very articulate lady on the radio talking to people that had would have never ever in their wildest dreams have ever learned what anarcho-capitalism was but it's like and now you're gone and yes i do think it has to be something with uh the fact that the cdc is right right outside your yes old window there yeah and it was it was (laughs) shocking enough to have an anarcho-capitalist on the radio the ideology itself was just seemed like it, people wouldn't be able to deal with it, but they loved it, ate it up. It was just it was just the true reporting that they couldn't deal with. And Binkley found the event to a one stuff right away. And we started talking about it February 8th, I think. And by February 28th, after literally eight and a half years of saying, I mean, I called out the Boston Marathon bombing as being a CIA operation on my basically debut show filling in for some big host during the week and i got away with that but this was this is bigger than that i think the last show we did before we found out we had talked about 9-11 covid predictive programming (laughs) boston bombing yes I think we checked off about every box in that last one. You guys went out with a bang. (laughs) This is what happened. Shane, who was the executive producer and a lot more at WSB, became hooked on our podcast, which we were doing during the week and doing the radio show on the weekend. And he said, I just love what you guys are doing on that podcast. Like, you have to just bring that to the air. And I said, well you know, I really let my hair down. I don't care because everybody who listens to the podcast is there to hear what we have to say. It's like, no, 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 it's great. It's gold. It's going to transform radio. So I just, we were just <laughs> let our hair down. We were just like, oh yeah, I mean, come on, let's just put, lay it all on the table. If you don't know 9-11 was an inside job, you have not been paying attention. And then, I yeah. mean, just the next thing I hear, so... WSB is taking Monica Perez show off the air. 
It's like, really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that was the answer. I, I don't know. Screaming. <laughs> yeah, it was just, and it was funny because other people thought, other hosts thought I quit. So it wasn't wow. like they're like, oh, she's, you know, that show's a dog. They thought I quit. They were like, why would you quit? I'm like, I didn't quit. And they're like, what? You know, they listened to us. Well, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, and like, I think somewhat telling. I don't know. I, I think mean, they were trying to avoid a problem. I think that's why they wanted to kind of quietly do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say, unlike the other Monica who also eventually got fired, I don't think we were totally ungracious. I have made no secret of the fact that I think it was not a coincidence that it was the Corona times that brought an end to that show. Yeah. But I, I feel a little bad because I love my old boss and all those guys, but I don't think they care that I, I mean, it wasn't their decision. So I think they don't care that I speculate what I really think it was about. They've Ooh. also fallen in line a pretty good bit. Oh since my then. gosh. Yes. When you hear the people, all the people on the, it's just laughable because everyone on that radio station should know the truth because they heard our show. They know what happened. Uh. I so. mean, it's a vacuum. It once the you know the one show that might have been bringing actual truth to light, it's gone. And what's it filled with? The same old crap. Yeah, that and it's, fills it's an every echo chamber. Other talk radio show. <sighs> there is. So anyway, that's what's happened anyway. since the last time we talked to you. Yeah. But we really love the podcast because we get to get into deeper s- subjects and whatever we want to talk about. So uh, whatever you want to talk about, I think think we can handle it it's a mystery um (laughs) something uh that i wanted to just um talk about to start was the it's something i I, i've heard recently on podcasts people talking about but like synchronicity and how i don't know certain things are just connected out there and based on whatever energy you have or you might be thinking of or something like if you're vibrating correctly, I guess it comes back to you in some way. And so what was so weird was maybe it had to have been like early last week. Cause I was thinking about like, you know, we'd be talking with you coming up. And so I was thinking about, you know, the show you guys did with David Crow. And I was like, I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to find, I got to find him and, you know, check out his latest stuff. And then literally the next time I listened to your all's drive time news blast was your opening saying that David Crow had passed. And I was like, what the hell? Like, are you kidding? Like, that's another example of, you know, with him gone and all that he was providing and could continue to provide the fact that he's gone like that is pretty tragic. I'm choked up just thinking about it. I, he, in case people don't know who he was, he had a podcast called the infectious myth And what he would do, it was very dry to listen to. But once you love him because he was such a nice guy Mm -hmm. and the information is so great. Yeah. And he he never would go down like any conspiracy path or any, anything that he didn't actually do the research and have a study that would pass muster. He wouldn't even opine on it. He didn't make fun of you for what you thought or said. He was just a really classy guy. And I remember Mm -hmm. the last thing he said to us was that it's, it's been lovely talking to you both. And I thought, I think he really needs that. So it was really sweet. And, but if you listen to his podcast and the names of his episodes are pretty clearly what it's about, 
he actually posted the scripts. They were scripted. And he has references to all the studies that he used. So anything you want to know, I mean, his idea is that germ theory is called germ theory for a reason. And I heard Mm -hmm. him years ago on somebody else's podcast years ago. And I started thinking his way for a while. And I noticed that my health and the way I thought about health improved because I started to think about, well, I, it's a, it's the illness is within me. And I mean, I may be vulnerable to what's out there, but I need to think about kind of subcellular health and I'm not going to get into mm-hmm. the details, but when I try on an idea and it, it seems to fit with my experience better, I keep going with it for a while. So yeah. that's, so for him, when this whole COVID thing came down and people would ask me, people who thought maybe it was a, pl- a Chinese plot or the government was going to try to do this, like reduce the population or whatever, my first reaction was, I do not believe that they could create a virus that could cause that kind of destruction on its own. I'm not really afraid of just a, a trillions of invisible monsters jumping up into my face and killing me. <laughs> So I just, I'm not that, I'm not afraid of the illness, mm-hmm. which you could be, even if you thought it was a PSYOP, it doesn't mean it's benign. But it was based mm-hmm. on me looking at the world through, after having been exposed to David Crow. So I still think, and I have thought for a long time, that he is the most important person in the world at this time. And they are continuing to play his podcast and stuff. But I was worried for him before this happened, but he he announced that he was diagnosed with cancer in June and he was dead in July. And it was colorectal cancer. So I, I really think, I know oh. people wait to get diagnosed, but I've known people who have waited and they had more than four weeks. I think it's a little crazy, but anyway, I don't really know, but it is really tragic. But thank God he left so much work behind. Yeah, definitely. What impressed me about him, because I was pretty skeptical. I didn't know much about him until Monica introduced me to him. And I researched him a little bit. And when we got to interview him, he, when Monica would ask him certain questions that he didn't have a background, uh, he didn't try and speculate an answer. He said that he couldn't answer it. And he talked about how because he has such controversial positions that he has to back everything up with, with mm-hmm. research and be able to point to point people where to go. I just don't understand why his, why his positions are seen so controversial. Like, you know, if you're backing it up with research, that shouldn't be controversial. And real research such as, and I've seen this study or these studies cited elsewhere. There's a book called Virus Mania, which is really helpful with that, which actually uses David Crow's research. I saw him referenced in it a couple of times. But one of the things that he put out was that there were certain studies, I mean, you have to go to David's work or Virus Mania to get the references, but some of them were where during, I think, the Spanish flu, they took some soldiers who were sick and some soldiers who were injured but not sick, and they had the sick soldiers cough in the faces of the of the well soldiers. They took nasal swabs from the sick soldiers and put it in the well soldiers' noses, and they uh-huh. did three different things to try to get them sick, and not one of them got sick that way. So that is one mm-hmm. example. SARS was similar, where there was a hospital that used, um, that had the Just sickest. Bypaps. They didn't do the yeah. ventilators, right? Yeah, and and that was the place that had the sickest people, 
And I believe if I got this study right, you'd have to look into it, but it's something like that had the least amount of deaths and no crossover infections, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember Mm -hmm. hearing that and just being baffled. (laughs) And there's no contra evidence to support, and certainly what he explained to us as Koch's postulates, where you have to not isolate a virus, because that's a misleading term, but purify it. So what you have there is a vi- is just the virus. You take that from a sick person, you give it to a well person, the well person gets sick, and then you repeat that process with the new sick person. And that's how you prove germ theory. And I believe it has never been proven in that manner for a virus, mm-hmm. I believe. So anyway, that's the kind of stuff that he turned me on to, and he always backs up. Like one thing I looked up, this is when I discovered how copious his notes and references were, that one of the things I heard him refer to was a study where I think, I think it was in Denmark or the Netherlands, where they had, uh, they tested a certain amount of samples of blood for COVID, and it came back 18% of them were positives, but the blood was two years old. The blood was from 2018. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about that one, too. Yes, so, yeah. I mean, that just <laughs> demonstrates. And the guy yeah. who invented the PCR test said, and got a Nobel Prize for it, that it cannot be used to measure an infectious disease. So the PCR tests, how accurate can they be if there there's so many coronaviruses out there? You know, yeah. I don't know where the inaccuracy has come from. You can't, I, I can't really get any deeper into it, but... David Croshore did. So I know, I don't understand how it's that. That's why it's real data. I think that's the biggest threat to the system. Whenever I worry about somebody, it's always, yeah. it's not somebody like me who just, just gathers things off of the open source. It's people who really unearth or understand or reveal or discover real information that will blow up a narrative that's important for the world shapers. World Shapers. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, they suppress. Uh, there's a book. It's like uh, Cures That Worked or Miracles That Worked or something like that. And there's a, a chapter in there about 10 suppressed cures. And it goes through all of the – one of them is Royal Rife from back in the like 30s maybe who he allegedly cured cancer with like a machine that vibrates the cells and explodes the cells. And then he got discredited after claiming to have cured a bunch of patients. And then 2014, fast forward, there's a study being done at Arizona State that is talking about shaking the cells to death until they explode, killing them, describing exactly what Royal Rife described 80 years before. There's another one where a guy had discovered the mechanism for regeneration and he was doing it in frogs, and he ended up curing someone who had gotten a bad motorcycle accident and mangled. His bones were broken. It would have taken months to years for him to recover. He cured this guy in like three weeks, and this guy had won. He had almost won a Nobel Prize, and he was a military doctor. He was a Navy doctor. All of a sudden, he lost his job. He lost his funding, and he had to go practice in like the outskirts of Mexico because he was pushing too far to try and and get this regeneration stuff going on. I mean, imagine trying to do and bring good to the world and being absolutely shunned at best or really like driven off the face of the planet in some other extremes. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that the powers that be, like the pharmaceutical companies and the CDC themselves, they need people to be sick 
They don't want people to be like, healed it's, it's because then they sure. lose money or they lose power. But that that's a conspiracy theory. I was thinking <laughs> about that. Yeah, it doesn't well, I I actually I've been thinking a lot about the conspiracy theory thing and all I do, I try to understand if the official narrative makes sense to explain what's happening. And if it doesn't, I try to see if there are facts that could better inform a more accurate narrative. So I don't know if people are conspiring, but I will say about the sickness but thing. But they are. Well, they are. They, well, let's just put it this <laughs> way. They don't, they don't have to meet in a room and sit around a table. The World right. Economic Forum puts out a white paper. Johns Hopkins picks it up. Bill Gates. Then they, they, those guys actually did sit around a table for Event 201. But you don't really have to. You can, just, you can just send it around to university professors, and it will disseminate in the population as the truth. But the thing about being sick, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about race and poverty poverty as two things that that they absolutely need to keep in place because it is the cornerstone of the hierarchy of the way the power works and i believe sickness is also is going to be one of those irreplaceable levers and that they were talking about a coronavirus vaccine that might be two shots a year forever so, and that- Kill me. Like, I don't, yeah. No. I think it's a method to get us sicker. Absolutely. I wouldn't doubt that at all. I mean, like, I'm sick just thinking about that. Or, or dependent on it, like diabetes. Mm-hmm. And somebody pointed out to me, trans people, they, are, they cannot not, they can't live off the grid. They have to go get medicine. They have to. And that's, that's why I came up with independently healthy. Like, be mm-hmm. careful never to need something. Whatever is in the shot, it may have an underlying addictive quality to it. And they're talking about estrogen facilitating the immune response. Then it could have a fertility problem. I mean, I specifically don't take birth control pills and never have because I'm like, I'm not messing with anything that's not supposed to, like, I'm not Hormones are so anything powerful. to yeah. my body. Like, no. And, um, God, that's, actually, you've got me pretty paranoid that it is going to have some kind of sterilizing effect. Or could, or maybe if it is something where it's going to be like a scheduled, um, you know, like a routine, constantly having to get new shots, like it'll eventually wear you down and kill all your um, eggs. Yeah, gametes. Yeah, gametes. I I think I worry. The reason I think that is that Bill Gates' sole purpose in life is population control. That's no secret. He was born to it. bastard. Right. What was the institute called? The oh. Bill Gates Institute of Population Control used to be called something like that until they changed the name of it. I can't remember the specific no, name. No, I think it was it like was... population population reduction. It was something really off the wall. But I'm just saying- Genocide this... was taken, like Bill Gates' <laughs> genocide. <laughs> right. Donate your gene profile here. We'll see if you can live. Ugh. Um. One quick thing that, before I forget about it, just because I wanted to ask you guys in particular, because you did do, and you're still doing, obviously, an excellent job covering what was Event 201, and actually maybe quick sidebar, since you said Binkley found it really early on, how did you find it? Like, was it just something that was easy to pick up, or like, how did you come across that? I go to the the Brookings Institute, the CFR, the 
the CIA, the all all the think tank institutes. I, I go to their websites. I check them out pretty frequently, and I think it was on one of theirs. Being, I think there was linked up to John Hopkins, and they were promoting it. And I think I found it on one of those think tank sites. And you're just like, hmm, that sounds odd. Let's see what this yeah, is. Yeah, it seemed a bit weird. I, I, I try to find stuff like that because it's always going on. There's always some sort of operation or, or, or test or simulation going on. They're trying to train people. Spiro is on to it too, really. Yeah. Early. Got it. That, and um, speaking back to David Crow, I was listening to his episode where he <clears> was trying to like simplify the whole explanation <clears throat> of the RT-PCR um, process. And so he was talking about how... Um, there were increased calls to the CDC for it, it, like, I guess he was putting out these like cautionary words that, you know, if um, the guidelines are that you're cleaning and sanitizing everything like crazy, you know, all that stuff is around. Your kids are probably getting into it. Um, you know, please be cognizant that, you know, these are dangerous and harmful chemicals. And he, and he said the CDC has been um, mentioning that they've been getting more calls recently so I was wondering, do you guys remember when that non-quote of Trump about like using bleach to kill the virus inside us and everybody on the left took it and ran with it because the left can't meme and they were like, oh, Trump wants you to drink bleach and that's what's going to cure the COVID. Um, so I really wonder if that was lined up properly with like what was actually happening with the fact that like people had more cleaning supplies out and available and in their homes and on everything and probably to a degree that was maybe affecting their family members and pets and things. I really like because you guys I wanted to ask your thoughts on that just because like what you do is you show just what the messaging is like what um, what the headlines are and what the message is are two different things. So I, I heard that and I was like. I really wonder if that times out. I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I I absolutely think that they take it's that never let a good crisis go to waste. They can yeah. literally take any story and spin it any way they want. And people like Trump and Obama always set it up that way. Obama basically said nothing, and Trump basically says everything. And you can interpret anything either way. But you got yeah. me thinking because if you don't accept the germ theory, there's only four things that can make you sick malnutrition or poor lifestyle habits, stress, radiation, and toxins. Mm, so if you want to mm -hmm. make people sick, especially respiratory, isn't doesn't the chlor chlorine and stuff make a respiratory problems? I mean, it can. Yeah, I think if you like mix like bleach with chlorine and, I mean, sorry. Ammonia. With, like, That'll kill yeah, you. Yeah, something... There's a combination of things that, that creates like a gas and, I, and it can kill you. <clears> I think... <laughs> I read that I read about that in a um uh Palinuk book. Like one of the characters oh, yeah. was cleaning. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, Which book yep. that was? Yeah, I know what you're talking she, about. She she could she was a social worker and she couldn't fix anything else, so she just started cleaning her floor one day with all these different <laughs> these different things and then she ended up dying because she mixed these two together and <laughs> I did somebody I know had something similar happen. They she was cleaning a bathroom. She closed the door and she mixed ammonia and some other stuff together. And she ended up getting bad pneumonia. Who did that? And was in the hospital for a long time. Do what? Someone you knew? Yeah, someone I knew. Yeah, because wow. somebody sent us a 
took a picture with their phone of their television that had, and I remember retweeting it, it had a picture of, it said don't, but you know how like it said do, D-O in white, and then it said yeah, not in not. red, but it, yeah. it kind of blended into the black, and then it showed like the four things that you should never do, and the first thing was mix chlorine and ammonia, and I thought, isn't that what like the gas the Nazi yeah. shoes were made of, that kind of thing. And it really looked like, do this. It was oh nutso. <laughs> and and oh, it was at well, that time. I feel like everything they told us to do throughout <clears throat> the entire lockdown was bad for us. Like, just sit at home. Don't go out and exercise. Don't go, like, don't leave your house. Don't, don't expose go to, yourself. Don't get the sun. Yeah. yeah. Now they're saying that there was a story today that was like, Study finds it's bad to isolate old people by themselves. No shit. No shit it's bad to do that. <laughs> to get put a ventilator in them and prevent people from coming to see them and lock them inside. Yeah. And old folks, yeah, of course that's bad for them. That's obvious right off the bat, but they don't bring that up until I, I don't know how many of them died. Yeah, until they slaughtered the um, geriatric population of New York, New yeah. Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Jerusalem. Exactly. Yes. And why are they keeping track of all these deaths from COVID, but they're not keeping track of all of the deaths that are from suicide and from over drug overdoses or abuse? I saw an article asking to not asking journalists not to report on the suicides. I think they're going to wait. I think they're going to report them later. And they'll be blamed on COVID. I check the CDC website almost daily. And I mean, they're... Their data on suicides from 2020 is not there. They have like the data is from 2018. So that, that seems a little suspicious. You Their know? data is so curated. It's it, really <sighs> impossible. Could you imagine any other field having that? What a mess that is. It's on purpose, oh, yeah. I think. It just causes confusion, and then you get different numbers from different places. And I think a, a large part of this is just to confuse and demoralize the population. Mm -hmm. To your question a moment ago about when Trump said the stuff about injecting it in the body, and they took it all to context, and they didn't, they didn't let them know what he was really talking about. Yeah. I think part of that is just to give them an opportunity to say whatever Trump says is bullshit, and here's remdesivir, Fauci's medicine that he's been trying to push for decades. It's really expensive, and it's a miracle even though it does nothing. I think it just gives them a reason to launch a dialectic and then promote whatever product, whatever it is that they're pushing. And they didn't go back and, and tell anybody that some of the things that Trump was talking about actually helped some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually. Not, but he didn't say injected. He said, you know... Yeah, I can't. I, I, it's one of those things where, as much as he bumbles and isn't really isn't articulate at all, um, and doesn't really know exactly how to express what he's talking about ever. Um, it was one of those things where he said something, and then the clips about what he said were entirely different. And you know, it's if all you're doing is listening to the clips of what Trump said, like your daily clumped, uh, Trump's an idiot clips. Um, you know, obviously it sounded dumber than usual, but I, I remember like, of course I follow like lots of stuff on the internet and not even to say that I'm on board with Q or anything, but I think I remember, um, like, and actually looking on Google, but they were removing stuff talking about, I think like ozone treatment and, um, it was something that like is injected or d did something, but it was basically to clear up somebody's lungs. And I mean... What I was what I was reading like made sense, and then all of a sudden, like that was getting taken down. Um, I think it's a then, real struggle for them to keep these 
make it feel like a lot of people are sick. I think that all these things are contributing to trying to pump up those numbers, but I think those numbers are going to crash and that's why they're going to start funneling the numbers through the White House and the CDC isn't going to get mm-hmm. them until they're there. And of course, if they're messed up, they'll blame it on the White House or if they look oh, bad, they'll course. say the White House messed it up. So, but I, I just, I feel like if you look at the policies in the New York area and the the mortality rates on ventilators, which David Crow tweeted me directly. I was, I, I, so I know it was real. And then when you see that they are passing laws insulating people from even the already kind of generous medical malpractice. So I think medical liability is for not following protocol. It's really nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. And they changed the protocol. So if people were following it, they should be insulated by it anyway. But to expressly go out of the way to pass laws that limit liability or at least suggest that, for me, is a red flag. Um, Jesse, I didn't get to finish listening to your interview with um, your nurse friend who was actually up in New York. But wasn't she kind of describing how things were very out of ordinary and... Okay, so things might be out of ordinary because it's not every day that we're facing, I'm quoting guys, we're facing Mm -hmm. a pandemic. Um, But from what I was listening to, it sounded like she was very kind of concerned with how not by any normal book or means things were going there. Yeah, there were one of the things about the hospital that she was at is it's a teaching hospital, so they really want to take the take the reins away from the nurses and give it to the doctors, and they have to make a lot of decisions. So no, it's really where your hands are tied and you can't do a lot. But my friend Kristen, she's really outspoken, so if she saw a doctor doing something that was harmful, she never hesitates to speak out. She's always been that way. There are times where they wanted to. Um, they wanted to take, they would look at their lungs in this, in the CT and they would see that they were full and they would want to get, put them on diuretics, but their blood pressure was already low. So you're going to just kill them from low blood pressure alone. So there's a lot of things that, um, she had to teach them, you know, especially like if you're looking at the lungs through like a chest X-ray or CT and you see that it's just cloudy, that's an infection. You don't take fluid off. You need to start an antibiotic at that point, you know, things like that. So, you know, she, um, that's what she noticed. And a lot of the doctors were, you know, they were new doctors. They weren't like seasoned doctors. And it was really one of those things where she was there right when it was the kind of like the peak had just kind of happened. And so she was there and, um, so the hospitals were really full when she started and it was all hands on deck at that point. Like everybody was just kind of, she said that like the week before they were having codes, like in different rooms all at once. It was hard to get to all of them. And to Binkley's point, if they are inten- if protocols are changing all the time and yeah. these guys are new, that's going to cause confusion and mm-hmm. that is not going to have better results. And, I and mean, they're being. Oh, I was going to say you're going to. Th- you would think in New York that you would train the nurses to do the ner- that. Those would be like the best trained people, but really they compartmentalize a lot of what everybody does. Now, Kristen's done ER, ICU, hospice. I mean, she's done everything, so she's had a lot of experience. She knows how to do a lot of different types of um, like IV drips, and she knows how to do different types of dialysis which the nurses up there and their ICUs, you know, they have specific 
people that come and do those things. But when you are dealing with, Jeez. you know, a crisis, you need to have people that are cross trained to do a lot of different things. So they, that was where a lot of the um, changes were coming across where they're like, we're going to have to start training these people how to do a lot of different things. But that was a learning process. So she said by the end, they stopped doing ventilators as often. They started doing just BiPAP. And then she said that they were all surprised that non, you know, there weren't as many people that were healthcare workers getting sick from it. And I was like, well, if they'd read the study <laughs> that I knew about, then that they this would have never happened. But you know, which study? The one that you guys were just talking about, like oh. with, with David Crow. Yeah, I wanted to say David Cross, but that's a comedian, and it just yeah, know. yeah. Uh, my mom was on a ventilator for a very long time in the ICU. And as soon as they started putting people on ventilators, I was like, that's, that's not good. They, they prepared us that's true. To ne- for her to never get off of the ventilator. And, I, it, and the reason she got off of it, but most other people in that ICU didn't. Mm-hmm. And they have to have an advocate. If you're on a ventilator, you're scared. You're probably having delirium. You... Mm-hmm. You can't ask questions. You can't think clearly. They have to have somebody there with them to ask the doctor questions and be in their corner and to not just blindly accept everything, especially if they're in an environment where the doctors and nurses are overwhelmed. They're, they're human, too. So to expect everything to be perfect is, is unreasonable. And they set up a situation that took away the support network and it over overwhelmed the doctors and nurses and ultimately led to a lot of deaths that just got blamed on COVID when I believe a lot of them was the circumstances and the default to putting people on a, on a ventilator right away. Yeah. What a terrible default, like the most dangerous default option. To me, it's just, I mean, the reason why they're putting them on ventilators guys is to protect the healthcare workers. So they're putting the healthcare workers above the patients themselves. And so that to me disgusts me Cause like, yeah. what, what are we doing? What are we as nurses doing if we don't put them Especially first? Especially since yeah. there's no, the healthcare workers do not have comorbidities. You cannot die of it if you do not have a comorbidity. So take all the people who are dying of pneumonia and treat them as if you don't have pneumonia. Cause you don't. So you're not mm-hmm. going to be vulnerable to it. I mean, the Bulgarian yeah. head of infectious disease, something like that, said no one's died of COVID because no one dies of it who doesn't have a comorbidity. And if it's a if it is going to kill you anyway, and that's the only way to die, that's what you're dying of. And not to mention one of the, the highest death rates in an ICU is pneumonia that's caught in the ICU. From the ventilator or, yeah. you know, part of that. Um Binkley, so was your floor cleaning person, um, when did they pass during this whole? You know, I don't know. The last I, this was somebody that was, that used to clean my parents' house. Uh And the last I had heard, she was in ICU. And I I don't know if she's okay or not. I hope so. But she, she got really, really sick. Jeez. Um, What I was going to say, like, because... And I still don't know somebody personally that has been sick. Um, I, one one of our experts, he's an industrial hygienist. He did call me like shortly after everybody started finally talking about it um, on the mainland here. Um, but he was like, I'm pretty sure I had it like a couple weeks ago and I got over it. Um, should I call anybody? I was like, yeah. And, you know, of course, I work with these Hopkins epidemiologists, so I knew exactly who to call and blah, blah, blah. I don't know the results of that but like he was saying that um 
he so anyway he, he may have had it he might not have had it i don't know but um he got over it and so i so if he had it he's the one person i actually know who has had it or has died like you know i don't know anybody and so but it's always like <laughs> your cousin's neighbor's friends yes. dog walkers sisters brother-in-law um and so my anecdote from yesterday i heard um just because this is great and you know and it came from a woman who like you can tell that the lights are there and she's very smart (laughs) in certain ways but it's like god you're missing your you're 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 missing this big blind spot so here we go so her sister-in-law's brother just died of covid in a florida hospital Okay, so in how, leading up to that, um, he had cancer and had a throat surgery recently. The throat surgery procedure got infected, so he was back in the hospital. Jesse's exasperated. Got pneumonia, and then there's the part about and died from COVID in a Florida hospital. In so, Florida. In Florida, right? Of course. Where so, they're making it up. Where it's just like, you know seriously i they are making it up and it's like even looking at their the expert approved like websites i'm like I, i'm not seeing the 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 hysteria that you're seeing I, am i not florida has been busted up and down you know for oh yeah for different places only reporting positives so that if you look at a specific source of data you will it looks like there's a hundred percent positive percent yeah <laughs> and I couldn't understand at first what they what was happening and I realized they're just not reporting the negative results oh my god wasn't one of these counties Broward County though like yeah. it seems like oh my if god probably yeah in Florida it's always Broward County. Dude, <laughs> Broward County. It's always what Broward County. There? That's what got Sheriff us. Sheriff Israel, right? Yeah, that, he's probably taking. He's probably doing the test for people. That's how I got <laughs> taken down. That's his new job. Door to door Two deputies died after the Parkland shooting in Broward. They one of them was like, "This is bullshit" on Facebook, and the next day he's like, "Dead of something." He's suicide. Suicide. Three. Yeah, one of them was. Was on the ward in the pol- in the prison of Nicholas Cruz, the suspects. Anyway, that was one fishy, and that's the day the internet died, and it was outing Sheriff Israel that got one of my our shows dinged on YouTube, so that I got taken down a little bit. Like I could have recovered, but I just yeah. stayed away because I didn't want to be completely permanently removed. But yeah, that was a very significant. Broward County is for sure totally deep state. Yeah. With that story, Monica outed everything about Sheriff Israel, how corrupt he was, and just everything about it. And it's out there. It's obvious. Yeah, he had worked at the school. He was in D.C. for the International Brotherhood of Police training. And he'd been involved in other similar weird incidents in Florida. And so the video gets banned from YouTube. And then a couple of weeks later, Jake Tapper, Jake Tapper, he, he does this interview with, with uh, Israel and he starts he starts questioning him and, and outing Israel. He's outing him, the same stuff that Monica outed three weeks before, but now it's okay and now it's mainstream and yet no apology for getting your video banned they and the video still banned. They put, yeah, it's been removed and it was a strike that I had to kind of earn out. I had to stop risking a certain number of strikes and three strikes and you're out. But yeah, that was weird. But I remember that day because I was trying to find the real story and it was the first time ever I couldn't find the real story. And I came on the air immediately on WSB and said, 
This was the day the internet died, February 14th, 2018. And I didn't realize that I would very shortly thereafter be taken off of WordPress and probably that oh, show was the happened. one that got suppressed. Yeah, that was definitely when it happened. I think it started dying after the Las Vegas shooting. That's when, in my opinion, there's a noticeable difference in the type of information you can find on YouTube. Now it's just completely gone. There's and I feel like left. there's really like nothing... No, we don't nothing. know anything about the Las Vegas shooting. Oh yeah, no, no except kinda, for what he got that. away with. And it, it just—it's impossible to believe that they didn't just have a helicopter up there in, I would say, two and a half minutes and just take him out. But yeah, there's no didn't. cameras in Vegas to <laughs> document in the real that. world that we wish and think and are sometimes like hopeful we're living in, but we're really living in clown world. And so you're right. Fun like, world. Of course that didn't happen. Yeah, no. And all the bags and bags that look like guns that he was bringing up that were guns. Yeah. I feel like it happened before that, though. I think when there's a specific shooting that you can't say the name of because it's tied to the oh, yeah. other guy that <laughs> Oops. got kicked off everything. That's what they cited yeah. to take me down. That's true, but there was stuff out there. They left it out there for us all to find, and that's how they trapped me into getting completely taken down from WordPress. But I, I didn't even say anything. I didn't even think it was a hoax or anything. I just said, why is no apostle? Oops. Never mind. Yeah, it's like the 100 Flowers <laughs> campaign Why in is China. that picture in the wrong country? Why is that kid in the wrong country? It's a long story. I don't. Why two years later? Yeah. Why is that la, picture la, up there la, again? La, it's, 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 <laughs> you guys know what the hundred flowers campaign is that no. Mao did in oh. China. What he did was for a hundred days, he told the public that they can come forward with their criticisms of the government. Oh, mm -hmm. They can tell us what's wrong with the government and what their plans and their ideas are. And he drew out all the dissidents and all the people that asked questions and they gave their ideas. And then after 100 days, they rounded them all up and took them to the gulag. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, sounds you know, right. Yeah. I, and it's just like, so these people today that, and I don't know, even myself, I should probably just shut up and get off social media entirely because, I mean, Jesse <laughs> and I just got kicked off Discord. Um, individually, really? individually, separately, we're both kicked no off Discord. No way. For you what? have to tell me that story. Finish For your sentence and then tell me that story. What I was going to say, what was I going to say? Um, but, you know, so everybody making all of their um, deepest, most innermost thoughts and beliefs, like they're basically color coding themselves for when it's time to start rounding people up, which it sounds like, I don't know, I missed it maybe, but they started kind of doing that in Oregon. Well, you self, you self identify that you are a dissident by not wearing a mask. You're not yeah. going to have, if you don't have a Vax tat, which has a record of your I know. every other month. You know, BLM tattooed on your forehead. So much shot, yeah. Dissident. So how did you get taken off of Discord? We're not the only ones. Like, There's a bunch of um, like lady AMCAPs that we're friends with on Instagram, and a number of them got taken off too. Um, so yeah, no, they haven't responded to my email, but um, I guess like... Jesse, I, I noticed like some of the girls in our chat were saying like, oh, I just got taken off Discord. So I was like, hmm, let me go see if yeah. I was taken off. And sure enough, I, I could, they, there's nothing specific that they've put forward, but they said that um, my account has been uh, like, I am participating in inciting violence, targeted harassment and or threats. And what was the other one? 
another one that's like completely not me at all. Like I'm the hippie that happens to like property rights and uh, you know rock guard, <laughs> but you know I'm here promoting peace and Ron Paul and I'm anti-war and I do yoga. Sent threats to others. It was like something yeah, very bad. It's like it makes it sound like you're real, like we're all just really. Yeah, terrible. hold on. Let me get my um. Let me get my 1984 Trust and Safety Committee language handy. Uh, so here we go. Let's see. Um, your account has been flagged by the Discord community for violations of our term of service and community guidelines. Our t- I re- I reviewed those. I still don't think I did. Our team has reviewed the claim and taken action by disabling your account. Uh, your account was found to have sent threats to others, participated in target hara- targeted harassment, or incited violence against individuals or communities. I posted on Twitter, I was like, I mean, I hate pedophiles. <laughs> that is hateful is that, towards pedophiles. Is that so bad? And honestly, like, I don't even ever go as far as, like, a lot of people will say, you know, where pedophiles belong, like, in a wood chipper. And it's like, while... I don't wish good things for pedophiles, especially the ones that actually act upon their feelings and they don't belong in good places or this society whatsoever. It's like, I'm still not the one who's stupid enough to say online, like, I think so-and-so should die. Yeah. I can't Do you think somebody reported you guys? Flagged you guys? What I think, it was probably something where Jesse and I were in the same Discord group or something and somebody there... I don't know. We really think it was a blanketed shutdown, everybody that was in that chat. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. Wow. I think it's the Boogaloo yeah. movement. I think it's the, the recent people um, like The Guardian and some other uh, news have been talking about how the Boogaloo movement is the new, you know, bad group. Yeah, that they're yeah. racist. Even though, and we've, we were in a podcast where um, they talk about, you know, and this is like, I don't know when we did our, did that podcast, but like we were giving relationship advice for that particular one, <laughs> yeah, but like they, mo- yeah, they usually talk about like <laughs> second amendment rights, um, weapons and, you know, just the right to bear arms. And I think like that they've, they've done a few, safe. <laughs> yeah, they've done a few protests. They've gone, they went for, they went to, some of them went to go protest the Duncan Lemp shooting. And I know that some of them went to um, certain, I don't know where they, there was uh, different states were having Rich, the some, Richmond um, gun rally. Yeah. Yes. So yes, I would there be was that. But I know that they are tracking people on social media based on the rallies they attend. Yeah. yeah. Not just so social we were media, in a lot of these chats with camps. these people. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, and we've done a podcast with one of them, one of those podcasts, but. Um, I know that there was one girl in one of our chats who got a visit from the FBI because she was taught, she had been chatting in her DMS on Instagram with, with someone who I guess was in that group. And so something, I can't remember. Probably an undercover FBI agent. Well, what is it, Bingley? Probably an undercover FBI agent. Every time they capture somebody and they say somebody from the Boogaloo or about to do something else. You go read it, and the whole thing was instigated by some undercover agent who was like, okay, so you're going to come pick up the the explosive, uh-huh. and you find out yeah. they got it from Langley, or they got it from the FBI, yeah. and they the whole thing just seems like entrapment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, so I guess like what got what made her get a visit from the FBI is that I guess whoever that person she was talking to, I can't remember, like he actually might have done something and um, like maybe to some kind, some kind of public building or I don't really know. I would have to go back and read it. But like if, if I'm not remembering it, it wasn't that bad, but like it was serious and obviously required some sort of attention. And so they were reading his dms and saw her name Mm -hmm. and i guess she had made a comment and you know in talking to us she was obviously defending herself and it was clearly like a joke if you knew context or were listening to it but she had i think was even giving that guy like somewhat joking relationship advice saying well i guess you know you got to find a girl who's gonna throw molotov cocktails with you Maybe that's the problem. Oh they don't want God. any relationship so, advice. Yeah, no relationship <laughs> yeah, advice. Yeah, stop we, we relationship want advice. Incels. We want guys that can't get girls. We want everybody miserable. I mean, they do want you everybody might, miserable. So, I wonder when they're going to start doing it to audio. You think that they can, Binkley? Do you think they can screen audio like that? I mean, do you I think, think saying, that's what Siri is for collecting all of our audio yeah. all the time individually? Oh, yeah. Siri, you bitch. <laughs> But like what you said, <laughs> if you start talking about that right there, I, yeah. okay, so as That's soon as you get Siri, one of the things that people like to do, you know, you do it, you're like, what, what do you talk dirty to me? So whatever. People say weird things to Siri just to see what Siri will say back. You no, know? They don't. And a petition was started to make Siri and make the Amazon one, Alexa, mm-hmm. to make them stand up to domestic abuse oh so that when somebody <laughs> says, shut up, Siri, you bitch, Siri will launch into a tirade about feminism and why it's wrong that you said that. Yeah, I think that they probably can track the Can audio. you get a sex robot who likes <laughs> to be talked to like that? Who criticizes? Probably. No, that's not allowed. That's uh, you'll, The FBI will show up at your house. You have Wait, you, so somebody had the FBI. I had the Fedora guy... Fedora Chronicles. I was on a podcast. That's I a think, thing? yes, <laughs> and it was. He was a little surprised that I just hit the ground running with uh, my opinions about COVID. He was just really surprised. Like clearly, he does not listen to me. I, I really enjoyed talking to him, and it was great. And he mm-hmm. was very respectful. He left it all in. He did put a little bit of distance in his intro, mm-hmm. and I was happy for that because I didn't want to get him in trouble. Yeah, but he was explaining. To me, I'm not sure if it was on or off. It must have been on or I wouldn't think it was okay to say that something, it was something he posted. He got a visit from the FBI at his house. And I just, it's so hard to believe because, I mean, who, how does that get, how does that, how does that happen, Jesse? What happened? So, what did they, they came to the FBI to talk about why? They literally, well, she knows that they read that specific DM because Mm -hmm. they were asking questions from that conversation. So if you are on Instagram or any social media and you're having a private message conversation with somebody, don't think for a second that somebody's not monitoring that. So that's what was creepy about it because they specifically asked her questions about like the Molotov cocktail conversation. Yeah. And it was just odd so and it be careful who you talk to because i remember when we first started our podcast and we were getting a bunch of like friend requests i remember there was one specific com- like guy that you know messaged us and started asking like a lot of really weird questions like you know just what's your favorite conspiracy theory and 
Um, do you think Epstein really killed himself and stuff like that? And I was like, I literally asked him, I was like, are you FBI? Cause it was just such yeah. a weird, it was such a weird question. And then after a while he stopped messaging me and just left me alone. So, and I don't even think he's friends with us on Facebook anymore. I get my fair share of trolls. Yeah, but not lately. I worry about text messaging too. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'll go to type something to my friends and I'll, be like, I shouldn't say that word. I don't want to trigger anything. And I'll think of a different way to say it. So we have to almost speak in code now. That's what they cause... say about the boogaloo. That they oh, use really? irony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They use irony to speak in code. And that's funny because Google's Jigsaw is working, happens to be, I've been talking about it for years, working on detecting sarcasm in comments. So now I don't know why they are so hell-bent on that. But they are using the boogaloo as a reason to crack down on irony. (laughs) I mean, this is just beyond my ability to even get it anymore. The boogaloo is unclear to me. I've heard where it's far left, far right. I I don't know what what exactly. What is it? Define it. I mean, it's I don't really even know myself because I've we just know some people that I guess they identify as part of that, but I have made statements publicly that I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think, it, first off, I don't think it's a good idea to go to these protests, like these BLM protests no, or, any of this shit. Or, or the defund yeah. police protests, Agreed. like just stay out of that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like a lot of us in this movement, like we're all individualists. So it doesn't, it doesn't bode well to collectivize and try to have a movement together. And I just don't think that that's a, that works in the long run anyways. And it's so easy to corrupt, infiltrate, yeah. guide, I, direct, oh, malign. Yeah. I think it got, um, I think it got, um, I think that it got infiltrated by some people. I think some people, um, I've noticed a lot of them are young, like really young twenties. Uh, maybe I know one 18 year old that we talked to, so it's like, you know, I really think it's it's mostly that age group. I don't, you know, you're not going to see, I'm 41. You're not going to see 41-year-olds doing anything like that. We've got things Especially to do. Especially with kids. we got jobs and kids. We don't have yeah. time for that. So, you know. It's, it's, it's the people who are getting the checks or it used to be, that's why students always did it. But now they don't even have to show up for school. Yeah. Yeah, and they're still getting the checks, and they got no school, so and they're being trained on how to do activism online, and, so they can go out uh, and do whatever. They've got cabin fever. It's the only yeah. thing they're allowed yes, to absolutely. do. Yep, and it, and it's you know not looked down upon. They're not selfish for wanting to go outside and you know protest for no one's no one's police brutality. Blaming them, but you know it's really um, you guys did excellent work on that one episode recently. Um, Going over the training videos. 187. Oh, yeah. Holy that was our- I was so angry <laughs> listening to that whole thing. Was- just the way she yeah. talks, too. Like, it's just under- understood. You should be very skeptical of people who are eager for nonviolent protesting. You should be very skeptical of them. Everybody knows that. It's just, it's maddening to listen it's to so them. Yeah. And then well, so and many people are like, they do pleasure and eat it up and just, like, let it, like, be reprogrammed into themselves. And they're like, oh, I'm this person now. Like... <laughs> I have a I have a friend that I swear like she's been somewhat mentally hijacked and um she's not going to listen to this podcast so but and I don't even know but um 
was I going to say? Oh, real quick, back to the Boogaloo thing. Like, what my first impression of that whole thing was, was like, have you guys ever heard of the term collapsitarian? So mm-hmm. basically, like, they think that best case scenario, the country, the economy, civilization is going to somewhat collapse and that that's a great thing and we should do things to bring on the collapse because then we can get our libertarian anarcho-capitalist wonderland no that's probably not gonna be it's accelerationism yeah and it was started by communists oh my god so like well so that's got to be somebody else's idea yeah that's one of the things that i I, I mentioned in another one on an interview with in another podcast is that there's never been like any revolution that has been violent and sudden, it's never lasted. I mean, you know, think about Russia, think about France. And America, the Constitution yeah. replaced the Articles of Confederation within 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, here we are. Here we are. Violent revolutions never last. It's just, they don't. Well, they get hijacked. They, yeah. get, they get the grassroots because people believe in it. And then somebody is waiting in the wings who had financed it all along or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to step off. And then those grassroots participants are the first ones killed. Yeah. They're in jail or they're killed or they're purged. Yes. And the people who organized them, they gain political power and they move up to organize the, the next thing that they're going to organize. They get to demonstrate their skills while using everybody else's pawns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like the, it's like the brown shirts end up getting killed off. And, and, you know, just think about Robespierre and his men. They all ended up getting beheaded by the same tool that they used to get rid of the leaders of their country. It's, it's never, it never works. It, it works for like a short period of time. But then even during that period of time, it's unstable and nobody's comfortable. Everybody's on the edge of the, you know, seat. No, yeah. Nobody can relax. I would, I would go further and say the ultimate victors say in the French Revolution had facilitated the first revolution and then hijacked it after the fact so that it's premeditated kind of to use real revolutionaries to destroy the old only to be replaced by a new power structure that does not include the revolutionaries that helped destroy the old which is also the communist thing yeah. Not yeah, just the czars, did. but then Stalin again. Not just like the czars right. to the Bolsheviks, but the Stalin thing as well. Mm-hmm. Well, they get people under one umbrella. They get a bunch of people with conflicting interests to pursue a vague goal that they have mm-hmm. specific. Everybody has a different specific picture of what they're going after in their mind. But the person organizing knows that and they can't let people know that they have different pictures of what they're trying to pursue. So they keep everything fuzzy in general and they keep it emotional and they keep everybody focused on an enemy. And then after they've achieved their goal, when some mm-hmm. of these conflicts start manifesting, when they keep moving the goalposts and they never actually achieve a goal like Solinsky says that you're going for a mountaintop but there's never a mountaintop there's always another another cliff once once the uh, the the fog clears because if they actually accomplish the goal then they would be irrelevant and they could no longer have power because everything would dissipate so once those conflicts manifest when the people come forward and complain about those conflicts they're purged either you fall in line or you're out and then isn't that what the Black Lives Matter movement was? That's what they said. They literally said, we'll never get rid of racism. And I'm just, you know, thinking, well, then what right. are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to get on a path of an anti-racist life, which is just the way it's described. That, that training goes deeper on some of that. How to be an anti-racist. How to live. They say you can't. 
you'll never not be a racist, but you can get on the path for an anti-racist life. And here are all the things you have to do. And essentially, it's like being uh, evangelical. You have to recruit people. You have to be very active. There's no such thing as a passive non-racist. Um, so more crazy people that you once thought might have been sane, um, like, and just the way they're acting and all this. Of course, it's white people. It's just these white friends of mine and their acquaintances or people from my from my Montgomery County, Maryland, um, like upbringing, like as one of the richest counties in the goddamn country. So I don't want to hear about your, um, just anyway. But so this chick was, uh, you know, commenting or set up her Instagram story and taught or like made a comment about how, you know, the benefits of staying home and like being, um, under lockdown together and all this family time. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm, you know, I'm reading it. I'm like, that's great. That's lovely. Like, you know, spend time with your family. And then there was this clause that was, we got to talk to our children about anti-racism in real time. And I was like, your four children are, are all under four years old. What the, what are you, what are you talking to your kids about racism for? You live in New Hampshire. Yes. How, many, how many, how many, like, what are you doing? Yes. It's like when. Yeah, it, it just brings it up. I was looked at like yeah. I was crazy because, I mean, my when I, my daughter was in kindergarten. She's like five years old. They're talking about Martin Luther King and all the marches and all that stuff. And I was like, why are you teaching my five-year-old all this stuff already? She doesn't even understand that. Like, she needs to learn how to read and write right now <laughs> and do basic math. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I, so I have a son, so I had two experiences that are relevant to this. One was my kids, I, I sent them to a school, like just a really small school. Uh, I liked the, they did the trivium. It was a kind of real classical education, but it was really Catholic. I didn't really mean for it to be super Catholic, but it was it just happened to be the only school that had this trivium. Mm -hmm. and And they immediately started teaching my kids about abortion. My kids were little, little, uh, little. They did not know what sex was by uh -uh. a long shot. And I mean, that was very <laughs> freaky to me. I was like, dudes, this is not helping at all. And then the other relevant thing. So I was just shocked. When you're trying to indoctrinate your kids on a politically charged and really mm -hmm. complex How issue. How old were they? Honestly, I think third grade. I mean. Oh, my God. No, it was super we of had, a bummer. We had and, um, public school sex ed yeah. in fifth grade. And one kid did not get his parents to sign the permission slip and he had to go to the library every single day when we had our sex ed unit. He's probably oh, the weird. healthiest kid from that <laughs> class. He was really <laughs> fucked up generally. Oh no. And I'd be, I'd be interested to see where he is today, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I mean, what a weird well, it is, situation. It's, it's strange. And I think even if the Catholics, that school really was into procreation and fidelity and marriage and all that kind of stuff. And there, that just should, abortion should have not have been even in their own philosophy, the introduction that my kids had to sex. But my other, my son who did not go to that school, he has down syndrome. So he goes to public school, whatever disability program, whatever the hell they call it. And, uh, he, he is so incapable of understanding bullshit that he, the stuff they tell him, he simplifies and brings home. So he will just out, uh, point at people and say, 
he's African American, or I am, you know, I'm <laughs> proud of my Irish heritage. And I mean, he'll ask people like, where, where, what is your heritage? And I'm like, that's, that's not okay anymore. And then he, they started. <laughs> yeah, I, seriously. When I was growing up, we always asked people what the nationality was because no one in my class, there were 70, 80 kids in my grammar school class, and not, I think one kid did not have parent, grandparents born in another country. Every one of us was the grandchildren of immigrants. So you would naturally ask people where they came from. And, and uh, when I was in California the first time a long time ago, there was a woman whose last name was Perez. She was a counselor or something. And I said, oh, what country are you from? Because a lot of Perez is in Colombia. And although my husband's Puerto Rican, but whatever. So she, she said, in a heavy accent, this is my country. How dare you ask me that? And I was like, I just, I asked what country you were from. For, um. But it's and, just, also, I don't understand why that's offensive. Why are so, why not be, anyway, I'm totally confused by the whole thing, but the mixed messages make my son oh, say things that he would never say because he's just not capable of understanding it. So mm-hmm. he, then when Trump, the Trump thing came back, he would say publicly in front of people, um, especially people of color, Trump wants to bring slavery back. Oh, man. And, (laughs) you know, and and in his mind, he was like righteous. And he wasn't even thinking. He just, he learns what he learns. And he thinks everyone thinks the same way, understands what he's saying. But it's so offensive to tackle those subjects Mm -hmm. in in that level of propaganda that I, I, it's upsetting. He just doesn't doesn't get it at all and it is so clear what they're doing to that it is child abuse yeah and the propaganda yeah so you can see how he's being propagandized because he's not complicated enough to absorb any Uh. of the details so he can only repeat i asked him what he learned in school the only thing he can ever remember is darwin and climate change those are the Jeez. only two things they just repeat it over and over because they're emotionally charged subjects and it's because they just repeat it. He yeah. only gets things that are repeated and simple say, over, yeah. over, over. To his credit, so your son has Down syndrome, and that's you know what he is able to um, retain and then pair it back. Um, what about all the other kids that don't have Down syndrome and do the same thing? Well, they went to that school where they're, uh, I had to tell them to stop T- screaming about ISIS and stuff. I said, hey, man, <laughs> oh that shit God. is not real. Like, and I would send them, and actually, to their credit, they did stop talking about it because they were just patriot. They they just, it was nuts. It's so weird to see that kind of acute um, neoconservatism take root in mm. a tiny hypermoral environment where they have to convince themselves that they only want to kill people because those people are trying to kill them. And I would have to set, show them the videos like that's a green screen. Those people are not, you know, eight feet tall. That person's not really getting his head chopped off. My kids, I, I don't care if you tell them anything you want, but they're coming home saying we need to nuke. The, the, and and so, well, I never... I never told them that. So anyway, I mean, I I don't mean to get into the personal stuff, but the other kids, so now the other kids are kind of mixed. They know they have to think for themselves, Mm -hmm. but now that they go to private high school and they start speaking as if they think for themselves, there's definitely like raised eyebrows. Like, have you not been conditioned? You know, like, why would you say those things? So I told them, it's like, look, if you have any thought that's different from what the teacher is saying, Keep it to yourself. Yeah. yeah. yeah they, they go after the teachers 
because they want to get to the they want to get to the students. So you indoctrinate the teachers, or you get the teachers just to think that it's uh, moral for them to promote a certain message. And I, I had a friend who was in she was in college. It was uh, it wasn't like a, a university. It was like a specific type of artistic college, and it was a copywriting course. And the teacher came in and spent an hour and a half talking about a white fragility training that he had been to and this now this is a class they're all paying for paying and a lot of money he's for, promoting sure. this yeah because this is his job they teach them this your job is to go out there and be a missionary for our message and this guy he uses his platform his access to these students' minds, not to teach them what they're paying him to teach them, but to promote the white fragility what lessons. What is that? Because- Fucking socialists. <laughs> is it? Is it white privilege? It's a book written by a white person. She makes a shitload, too, by doing these corporate trainings, going around telling people that everything they do is wrong and they're racist and telling them what they can do to, you know, to... Um, apologize for their sins they're racists and rapists don't forget that that yeah. is what they're teaching in sex ed that well, basically all sex is rape i guess i don't geez. know well, these i think a lot guess. of professors like i have a friend who he works for a university he does he's not a professor but it's like his whole department they have to read that white fragility book before they can go back I never heard of this. It's is it? Is this new, the right? background of? Or, like I saw, they're doing it in universities. The, it's really crazy. I don't know what does it mean. It's white people are fragile. It's written by a white person that we can't. I don't know. I don't really know. I've never read the book. Obviously, wait a second. Do you remember the Starbucks guy who wasn't allowed to use the bathroom? Yeah. yeah, and it was like a national. I mean, who wasn't allowed that, to use the bathroom? The who was, was walking around swearing at people and threatening people before that. Yeah, yeah, that was a level of fragility that was implausible, and it was. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, they, if you're subject, you can't have it both ways. If you're subject to nothing but abuse, and that is a terrible thing, but also the fragility, I assume, is a is a function of privilege, right? That's probably their argument, yeah. Yeah. Is that the yeah. basic premise? Yeah. It's it's similar to what we heard in that training. Yeah. I think it's like we're not allowed to, like, I guess our fragility is that we want to, we feel guilty and we try to, I don't know, make up yeah, for she, it somehow. I listened to something she was talking about this morning and she was talking about her story and she said that she grew up thinking that racist people are type of person a type of terrible person she didn't view herself as a racist person so she thought she was a good person so therefore she's not racist but then she realized that everybody who's white is racist inherently and from there that's where it all goes and you have to understand to recognize to bring your internal racism to manifest it and then show other people what's racist and help them manifest theirs and then get on a path for anti-racist lifestyle. But that could circle back around. It reminds me of a book written. Remember that first book you ever sent me? It was the crowds book. Yeah. Bon. What was his name? Bon. Laban. 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 So he wrote another book. It was about propaganda and it was really over the top. This was from a hundred years ago. And he, one of the things, the other book was all about race. The most important thing, it was a pure propaganda. I don't know what the point was, but it was all about race, 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 and ethnicity, national. And this was before World War II. So I think it was just setting the world up for mm-hmm. this big conflict. 
But that was his basic premise, that race race was so important that you couldn't really escape it. So is this exclusively a white thing? Because if it's not, then you are circling back around to a very racist view of the world, which I don't subscribe to. So that just reminded me, and maybe it'll be somewhat helpful to kind of time all that, but so... Have you ever listened to, I know um, Jesse would know him, but um, Thaddeus Russell? Oh, uh, I saw him in the Monopoly on Violence. He was, yes, had yes, a couple okay, of yep. he's, he's, scenes he's, in that. So he he's like literally the child of communists. Like they were communist organizers back in the day. And um, it's, so he comes from the left and, but he, and he has, I don't know, he specifically will not put himself in a category as ever considering himself libertarians and he makes fun of them in some ways, but like he's really good on a lot of issues and he's like my favorite person to disagree with. But, um, so he's a historian and he's got this book called the renegade history of the United States. And, um, so he's just like a very interesting, very thoughtful person. And, um, but so something that I learned from him was that, and maybe you guys know this, but anybody listening who doesn't go listen to him too. But, um, so he was talking about how like, Basically, the term white or Caucasian was invented around the time of World War II in order to categorize us all in one way so that, like, they could play up the race thing um, even more so. I I can't remember exactly, and I'm totally butchering it, but, like, Caucasian is new. It's not something that's actually, like, uniform. It can't. Mm-hmm. really um describe all of us but yeah i'm always it's, confused by it because it's, it's not a real thing my, i made it up i i look like my syrian grandma and i just am puzzled yeah. as to what you don't, fit, you don't fit in any category and i i mean i'm irish i'm an irish citizen i really don't understand and then i think well i'm an individualist so yeah. i can't i don't yeah, even want yeah. i can't i can't that's why i can't buy that stuff about telling me what I collected. It just doesn't feel right to me. I'm just this person. And my morality is rooted in it. I don't know who I was talking to about this the other day, but I was raised, I think it was you, Binkley, because I'm mostly everything I talk about, I'm talking about with you. When I said that my dad taught me to always think of other people as there, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm -hmm. That's why you need universal rights. That's why you need everyone to be treated equally. That's why you also want to make sure there's opportunity and liberty and all that stuff. And so for me, it's always absolutely individualistic to the I see out of my own eyeballs, Mm -hmm. and I'm the only one who does that. So... The vast chance is that that you know everybody else is looking out of other eyeballs. So let's just treat everybody equally because what the, I mean, it, you are this person now, and yes, you aren't. You can't be born as someone else. But look at how fast the world is changing, and how when I I was just look, listening today, watching a, vi- a BBC video on re-education camps for Uyghurs in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, I'm sure it's all propaganda, but this was, I mean, the footage was there. It's hard to deny there's real facts there. And I thought, and they they put them there because they don't think right. Somebody had WhatsApp on their phone. Somebody else was uh, talked about religion in school. And th- 
And I feel like we're not one step away, but if you have one big step like the Corona times, mm-hmm. that we're we who knew we were one step one step one away from forward. this. Right, exactly. And if there yeah. and who knows where we're landing? We we don't have our feet back on the ground yet. We and that's not. why I'm an individualist and I will not uh, get swept up into the collectivist idea or the group idea or the crowd idea because that I don't know where where they're gonna what group I'm gonna end up in and I just I want everybody to be treated equally so I think that's very dangerous stuff for everybody they use it they're getting away with it because they've got that um, the protests and the riots and stuff have that and all the things that preceded that have that atmosphere but and I and I won't even say that it's organic because clearly they mm-hmm. need it to to exist just like poverty and I would say going forward illness mm-hmm. as a political tool. Yeah, wow. they, they need it. You're exa- I mean, it's mm-hmm. not going to go away because they need it until people recognize that it's a con, that Black Lives Matter or the organization, that's a factual statement that an organization that's a Marxist organization took and took it on as its brand. And all it does is promote division. It doesn't look for solutions. And the funders are white. And as Maddie said, the all the people she knows who are engaged in it are white. So yeah, yeah, maybe the founders, the faces, maybe the initial, the first wave was uh, a lot of people, George Floyd were of all, all races and backgrounds and stuff. But maybe if you looked at the composition of the movement, it may not even represent, it might not even be majority people of color. I don't think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and would it, does it represent this? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's very bold to be able to say that you represent people who may totally disagree. If we had our WSB show, you can imagine yeah. the African-American Atlantans who would yeah. call in and call it out. Absolutely. And I feel like that's what's missing. Or if it's, it, it might be out there, but it's obviously not getting amplified at all. But so that reminds me, I wrote another note. Um, if you... You guys have been talking about the way that they've been adding masks to statues or murals, like MLK, like as a figurehead in particular. But so how about that woman who's a black woman and she's going around and they're calling her the va- a vandal. But so her vandalization is she's pouring paint all over these BLM mm-hmm. murals and she's like, let's get the hell over it. Like, and um, it's, it's crazy. I'll, I'll link That's it to funny. you. I thought she was... Tearing the masks off. No, she's like Is that then paint. vandalism too? She's, I don't know. Probably. Somebody would consider that. But she's pouring paint on these, um, I think it was a Trump Tower like sidewalk mural. The one, oh, yeah, the one really? outside of Trump Tower. Yeah. yeah. Dumped wow. paint all over it. There's another couple that was a white couple that did something similar. Can't remember where. But yeah. they got arrested and charged with a hate crime. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Hold on. That's why. The BLM thing. Outside Trump Tower, I believe that was put up by the city, was it not? Mm, I don't know. I'm pretty sure de Blasio was in support of that. And mm. I would, it was on the street, they made room for it. And I would just ask people who think that that is speaking truth to power, who's doing it? Who's doing it? Why? After reading this book, Against the Grain by James C. Scott, which I also saw in the Monopoly on Violence, mm. I, it is so clear to me that this like corpo governmental continuum is 100% uh, 
made to keep to domesticate human beings and use them as basically an entire slave population. I just wouldn't yeah. that civilization itself is yeah. a scam. Yeah. And that if if de Blasio is painting that on the sidewalk in front of Trump's place, you can be sure it is not to liberate the individual no. of any color. Mm-mm. No, I mean, and to what you just said, um, quote unquote, like this civilization as they're putting for, forth to us is the scam. Like this isn't actually civilization. Like they basically have us at each other's throats right now for really no good reason other than he said, she said, and all this dumb shit that doesn't apply to anybody's real life. But since we've got cabin fever, um, people are depressed, people are um, on all kinds of psychotropic drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's been taught since birth that if you're a certain color, there's all these truths about you and about the other person who's not your color. And what you can't do. Yes. And so it is not civilization. And so everybody talks to anarcho-capitalists and says that we're crazy and we're utopians and we live in this ideal picture or picture perfect world. And it's like you people do like you, anybody who thinks any of this is normal or okay, you're the crazy people that live in this utopian fallacy. Self-limiting yeah. government is a utopian fantasy. It is. It doesn't happen. You're literally, you're literally watching the dam break and you're ignoring all the cracks. They're breaking mm-hmm. it though. Uh, yeah. You don't get this kind of civil unrest unless people are hungry or uncomfortable and unless yeah. it's stimulated. Mm-hmm. Well, what they do is it's an upheaval. It completely changed everybody's way of life. People did not know, still don't know what to do with themselves on a day-to-day basis. There's complete uncertainty. People are afraid. They're anxious. And these conditions are the same conditions that prisoner of war camps create mm-hmm. in their prisoners so that they can then Break brainwash them, them mm-hmm. Yeah, by by plugging in, okay, you're anxious, you don't know what to do, here's what you do, and Fauci and all these other experts are the people everybody's looking to because they need answers. Yeah. And so the propagandists are providing the answers. And you call call the nurses healthcare heroes and, and worship their feet, and they'll just fall in line and do whatever Fauci says and tell everybody to put their mask on, get on Facebook and shame people for not wearing a mask and saying stupid stuff like, if I can wear this for 13 hours, you can wear it for 30 minutes and Kroger. It, it's just all that stuff. That was straight out of Event 201 that it said that you have to get the doctors, the nurses to do that. You need to make sure they're all on the same page. If they're not, you need to denounce I mean, them. Yeah. That's that's anatomy of the state. Like that's Rothbard's anatomy of the state talking about like how you got to make sure the intelligentsia class like yep. says exactly what the government or the state wants them to say. Well, um, another we Rothbard book was saying in, I think it was the history of money or something. And he was talking about how the economics association was basically economists were told or convinced to embrace economic intervention because it gave them a job. So it gave them a job. And that, and this whole thing about the intelligentsia, I'll tell you, I don't think, (laughs) I guess hyper intelligence and hyper productivity are the, are necessarily go together. I feel like hyper productive, hyper successful people in the business world can't be like too crazy intellectual they get lost in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say, I, I just, that's what I think. And I, I believe there is a level of ego that goes with that hyper intelligence, which I think Rothbard was tapping into, where if they, 
they can't actually get as rich as they think they should be because they're so smart. And that's why they'll they'll do whatever the bidding is or they'll be their professorships. They want that exaltation. Yeah. Even though when the rubber hits the road, they're not they can't actually uh, make reality happen that way. But then mm-hmm. they get on the high horse. They tell you what to do. They like this hierarchical structure because it validates their superiority without them having to actually m- make anything happen. And that's when I started thinking about media. I think Cam and I had this conversation. Media, politics, and academia are the three places where that happens, where people who don't actually move the dial get to rule the world based purely on ego, basically. Mm-hmm. And then he told me that's the cathedral. And yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's that, the Michael Malice thing. Prior to World War One, before the United States was involved, the British, they wanted to get us in on their side because they wanted to use our, our finances, our, our military power. And they sent a guy named Sir Gilbert Parker over here. They sent guys all over the, the world to the little cells all over the place. But Sir Gilbert Parker was in charge of propagandizing the United States, of getting us to have war fervor, to think that Germany is the enemy. World War One, not World War Two. And his strategy was he was an author. He was a, a famous writer. And a lot of people looked up to him. They sent him because they knew that Americans, that the uh, in, intelli- intelligentsia, how do you say that word? Intelligentsia. Intelligentsia. That, that's, thank you. Intelligentsia. They, he knew that that group of people would just fawn over him because they looked up to him. They enjoyed his writings. They all wanted to have a duke or a lord in their house. So they, they sent Sir Gilbert Parker, very proper. And he went over there and he... He went to parties and he went around with celebrities, with uh, educators, I think even probably politicians, I believe he talked with as well. And he would just put these ideas in their mind, just program them. And then he would write back to Lord Northcliffe, who was who headed up the World War One propaganda bureau in, in the UK. And he would write about how gullible all these intelligent Americans are, the guys who think they're so smart are buying everything. He's just mocking them. Yeah. And then he's going back to them and they, they ate it all up. That's how they, why they got Wilson. And they, yeah. that's what, what yeah. I think is behind Obama yeah. is that mm-hmm. they, they, you need, or Jimmy Carter was another example. They need the big, big ego so that they don't think they can be totally duped and they don't look uh-huh. for it. They're much it, yeah. easier to fool. So an ego bigger probably than your actual savvy is the sweet spot for the face job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's his name? Yule, Propaganda Formation of Men's Attitudes. He talks about that very group of people. Elal? Jacques yeah. Elal? Yeah, that the ones that are very intelligent, that believe they cannot be propagandized, are the easiest group to con. <laughs> That's true. I find it to be like people that I knew, like I just look at my my Facebook friends and I know people who are really highly intelligent. They are very much like put your mask on, don't be an idiot, just listen to Dr. Fauci. Um, you know, doc- like look, Dr. Martin Luther King used to wear a mask. It's on the side of a building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have an insight into that. I noticed when I started doing the radio show, whatever, nine years ago, I guess, and I, my mom, I was really doing a lot of research, and the more I dug in, the more I realized what was really going on, and I was so surprised at how many people w- agreed with me, would call Facebook, whatever, 
And then I went back to my old investment banking friends and I tried to explain it to them. And to a man, they would make fun of me, first of all. But one of them, in honesty, said that I worked hard, I'm smart, it's working, the world makes sense. So there's that element of it. So he feels a sense of justice because he did what he was told and he got what he was told he would get. And I get that completely. Mm -hmm. But then at a certain point, there's also the point where you are so invested in it, you absolutely cannot consider an alternative explanation or that you are morally wrong. And then I think you have to start, as Binkley's tagline says, embrace the cognitive dissonance (laughs) because you have to embrace it because it's the only way you're going to have to live with it. I find that people get a little bit crazy when they live a life that they they have to realize over time was not quite right, like extreme liberals. I mean, I, I hate mm-hmm. to call names like that, but once they get out, they realize that people do act according to rationality and incentives. It, the whole their whole worldview has to start getting a little shaky, mm-hmm. and then they. I think you can find some of them get a little kooky. They get a little weird or bitter or something. You know, I just I feel like there is a cognitive that there is like a long-term psychological damage to cognitive dissonance. But sure. at a certain point- You can see cognitive ever... dissonance too when it happens to people. You can like see them like short circuit. Jordan yeah. Peterson chick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? I just heard the latest. Um, he was really sick. Like it's amazing he's alive. Um uh, so I guess long story short is that, you know, he was doing his big world tour um, for his book and his wife was really on tour with him that whole time. And I guess they might have known she was sick before, but didn't realize, you know, just the severity of it. But all of a sudden, like they got news that she was terminal and, um, you know, did not have long to live. And it was serious. And I guess he had already like you know, been under, obviously, stress for being in the public eye for really the first time ever and, you know, having to deal with um, an onslaught of hate because, you know, he happened to make too much sense, I think. And so I guess he had already maybe been, and I'm again, like he just put this out there, like his daughter has a podcast now. I've got mixed mixed feelings about her, but um, I do love him. But so they had a podcast together where they kind of talked about what happened to him, but it was like maybe two years of trying to figure out how to detox him from that drug they put him on. Jesse, do you- It was Xanax. No, it's uh, something with a B. Benzodiazepine. Benzodiazepine. Is that Xanax? Is that Xanax? I don't think that's Xanax. Whatever yeah, it is. it is. It's, a, it's it in is? the family of benzodiazepines. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, so- That's bad guess- stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess um he was on it and it like toxified. It might have had something to do with like what his own sort of immunodeficiency is already. And um I don't know, but basically it was uh he I think he was even saying that, you know, if you're di- anybody out there listening like if you were diagnosed or if you're prescribed that like it needs to be something that's short term and cannot be something that's long term because if it is long term, like you are hooked and then it's going to really like toxify you. And so I guess basically he was on it probably too long. 
he probably shouldn't have been on it to begin with, maybe. And um, so they tried to, like, and he was undergoing some awful withdrawal symptoms trying to get off of it himself. And so they, like, basically found him a treatment center in Moscow or something. Like, he's been, they've been in Moscow, and, like, they were in Belgrade. Like, I heard they that. Were in, it was such a crazy story. And, uh, you know, they tried finding people here in North America. They went for all kinds of second, third, fourth opinions. And so basically where they had to go was um, Russia. And I think what they were saying is that yeah. he, they had to put him out. They basically had, I think, put him in a medical coma so that he they could to- detox him without him feeling the unbearable withdrawal symptoms. And so, you know, he's like, okay now. You know, they, I think, brought him to family in Florida, and he's, like, still not great, or by all means, like, well, but, you know, he's okay. He can write. Like, he can, wow. um, for a while, he could um, do nothing, and then for a while, he could only edit, and then now he can actually, like, think and um, mm-hmm. do things again, but he was totally out of it. And um, I think it sounds like there was positive news on his wife's front, and, you know, so whatever opinion. She's still alive? She's still alive, Yeah. Oh. And so I think, like, there might have been, like, a really, like, drastic surgery that was done that might have been successful. But it, they, it, all things were looking not good before that happened. Oh. And so, I know. So I... Well, it was just such a, I mean, he was such an important person. And this is a, the critical turning point, a tantamount to a world war. And I just was wondering where his voice was, but he was kind of out of it for so out of the picture for so long that it didn't seem at all correlated to him. Just I don't want to talk about this. I had heard some of the those details, but you heard him talking to his daughter, so you must have had a sense of the authenticity of his story. Yeah, and I mean, like I think I know you've talked about him before and um, have questioned like whether he is a, a a genuine actor or not. I do think he's like. A yeah. genuine person. I've seen him speak twice. I went and saw him. And, like, I... It, Cam's going to probably cringe when he hears me talk about how much <laughs> I re-listen to different chapters of 12, 12 Rules for Life. Whenever I feel like I need really? it. I, I listen to it all the time. And, like, pick a chapter. Like, if I'm feeling like I'm a shitty, miserable person, I'll pick a chapter <laughs> wow. that I need to listen to. And it's just, like, it lets me go you know it lets me relax it lets me go focus on getting things done and i am able to just kind of like take certain weight off my shoulders and you think it's good for anxiety i really think it's good for <laughs> yeah. anxiety again it's what helped get me through yeah my, that's great it's what helped no, get me I'm, through my year of sobriety like yeah i'm very moved by the your opinion you know i i, I want to know if people think he's legit because Boy, the stuff he was saying, it was a little too articulate and rational, whether or not yeah. you believe <laughs> in him and what you agree with him. He was presenting a different side of the arguments. And sure. generally speaking, the arguments he was countering, the arguments themselves fall down on their own faces. He was bringing a counter argument that wasn't even necessary to slay the thing. So you don't have to agree with this counter argument, but he was so effective. I know that it's really... it, it seemed like how could he even be out there in the world like David Crow? I know these if people exist. He, I know, but but then look what happens to them. You know, I, mean, I just wonder. Well, it's one of those things where it really like humbles you. I think, and it, I think it humbled the shit out of him that um 
Not yeah. that he wasn't. I don't think. I think he was a very humble person before all this. But I think. I mean, like, I can't even imagine going through that. Well, if if he can come back, man, he Lord, will have something we need that even more to offer. Marxism's right up his alley too. He talks a lot about Marxism and communism and about identity politics. Yeah. And when he's talking to other people or being interviewed or debating with people, what he does better than anybody else is he listens. Is he really listens? And you can see him, you can tell. You can tell when people are listening and when they're not. And he's processing and he's take, taking the information in and he's not automatic responding. You can see the click and then you can see the response. He's a very good active listener. And most people, especially in the media, don't, they don't listen at all. They're just waiting for the other person to finish so they can say their talking point. Yeah, which they've been given to them and didn't think about or it didn't originate in their mind at all. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, nice. and it was uh, he was it was really good. He's a smart guy, and he yeah I, I I like listening to his stuff. That that listening thing is not an earmark of your kind of lifetime actor, your agenda pusher, your created person. Yeah, because the more they listen, the time if they actually take the time to listen and take the time to hear the other person talk they run the risk of the audience figuring it out as well. So I find that the people who are really pushing the agenda are very fast to step on you, to blurt out the, the, what they have to say, to kind of take whatever question you have and shoehorn it into a prepackaged answer as best they can. Now, I think there is a more sophisticated, always a more, a more sophisticated layer of propaganda there are people who are real who can either get into the box, and I think of Dave Chappelle and Anthony Bourdain, or you know, and the jury's out on Kanye. You're <laughs> either in your box or you're not in your box. Mm -hmm. And at what point do they tell him get in your box? Do they toxify him on purpose? That's what it doesn't. I was wondering. Yeah, I, think I you don't put that thought in my head too. I was like, sorry. Oh, I don't trust whoever was his doctor who prescribed him that. I, yes, I think some doctors, I, wor I wonder about Joan Rivers. That was her own doctor yeah. who very, very casually did something that was predictable. Right after she outed Michelle it. Obama, you know. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> She's a, she fried bigger fish than that. I, th I think she knew the truth about Trump. Just he's smart. With Jordan Peterson, we were talking about that activist training earlier. They do the exact opposite of what he does. They teach people not to listen. In uh, fact, they explicitly right. tell them, if you get an argument that you have never heard or if people tell you specifics about an argument, don't worry about it. Don't listen to it. This is what you say verbatim. Then they put up a little chart and give them a script to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, so it's so funny, like, to just juxtapose him with them. It's... um. You know, one of his rules in 12 Rules is, uh, like, listen to people as if, like, they might teach you something or, like, you they know something you don't know. And, um, like, be open to hearing the other side and, you know, trying to um, battle with those ideas and, you know, actually, like, stretching your mind a tiny bit and seeing how that person's information might add to what you already know or maybe even change what you know. But the whole... Nope. Uh, here's what you're gonna say to them when they give you an argument that might sound actually reasonable and, um, you know, might have some facts with it. Like, doesn't matter. Here's your answer. 
tell them that, um, you know, you know people on the front lines and there's no way that they'd lie. Or like, yeah. what? Like what They were telling matter? people not to think. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. They don't <sighs> want them to get infected by the other argument. If it's a good argument and there's no counter to it, they'll go to the other side, like you're saying. So they have to go ahead and give them a <laughs> vaccination, so to speak. Especially good arguments. people who are impressionable like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they are actually targeting uh, that first Aldous Huxley thing you sent me where it's 20% is hopeless and 20% is hopeless. One is you're, you're just true believer and the other is resistant to hypnosis or whatever they call it. Yeah. And it's that 60%. That is open to propaganda, and that's what you're dealing with, and they can be persuaded. Mm-hmm. One more thing that um, it's uh, something that Peterson talk, like mentions all the time, but I'm pretty sure he got it from Carl Jung. But um, the whole um, people don't have ideas; ideas have people. Whoa! And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, they do. They really do, <laughs> dude. They I need, I need more. Right now. I need. You have to give me another sentence on that. What do you mean? Um, I don't know. Like, I think about just these people, the people that are like NPCs or the ones that are just like li- gobbling up <laughs> yeah. this um, nonsense the from 60%. the 60%. I guess uh, the 60% that's impressionable. And like, um, so, you know, they, it's not them who has the idea, like the idea has control of that person. Captured them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Like they're within its grasp. It's not within their grasp. I think in those, Simple I think that, that tends to be people who are younger maybe and, or people who yes. don't have a very good grasp. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know themselves very well. They don't know I how mean, to be alone. Ages. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I'm thinking of like an ex-boyfriend. I mean, he literally could not be alone. He always had to fill his time up with work, appointments, friends, me, whatever. Yes, this is very interesting. I never really thought of it in those terms before. Mm-hmm. And as long as I can't relate to it, I, am I right in thinking that I am not a person who an idea has? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay, because I is do all do ideas have all people? I mean, there is, you can be a person with ideas. I think so. Yes. But then there are people who yeah. uh, the idea has the person. I can absolutely see that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's young people. It's people who have not been taught critical thinking. People who have a lot of kind of uh, unfocused emotion. Yeah. And they're looking for a place like that. And those are a subset probably of that 60%. And they're exactly who are most vulnerable to this, which is why it doesn't really have to do with that. That's why you said a lot of your white friends are the, or all the protesters, you know, are the white rich kids yeah. because it's, <laughs> it's, a, they want, they want to be a part of that idea. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that emerged organically from their experience. It's not a voice given to something that they've been struggling to liberate from themselves. Very interesting. Yes. And they, they get a lot of the young people too. What they, they promote pleasure activism. Uh, it's called, there's a term called pleasure activism. What? Where it's, it's just what you think along some other things. They talk about the thrill of it, the excitement, the sexuality of it. Yes. They thro- yeah. It's like Ooh. throwing candy to people. Gross. I told you about the friend, uh, friend of a friend or whatever who went to a pussy hat march. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was called. trying. It's so funny when the liberals who I am friends with think I understand what they're saying. So she's like, you know, I just told my husband I needed to do this for me, you know? And I was like, uh, 
I don't get that at all. And she, and so then ever, ever since then, I thought to myself, why, how is that? It made it seem very self-indulgent. It is. It is. Very self-indulgent. And now, thanks to this conversation, I think I'm, I have a better understanding (laughs) of, yeah, yeah, of where it comes from because I can't relate to it. The pussy hat march. If you're ever unsure if people are mind controlled, look at the pictures (laughs) and the videos of the pussy hat march and look at the adults with their children who are dressed in giant costumes of a vagina, sometimes with teeth. Walking oh around holding a child's hand. That's child abuse. I was curious about the origin of some of those costumes. And I was wondering if it was if they made them like as a result of this this movement or if there was like a mom and pop shop that just happened to make these giant costumes of vaginas and they just happened to hit it big because this movement happened. And that's that's what it was. There was a, an old couple that made these costumes and didn't sell many. And then suddenly the women's march happened and bingo, they hit it big. <laughs> Because <laughs> until then, there was no market for vagina costumes. <laughs> yeah. The market exactly. provides. You know, all these, uh, all these commie, <laughs> commie bitches with pussy hats, like, have no idea how great the market has been to them, but it's what brought you your stupid costume. Can you imagine in, in 15 years a kid going, oh, that's me at the, that's my mom in the giant <laughs> vagina costume. <laughs> How about the dad? Oh, yeah. I saw some dads in the dad. vagina costumes. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> loser. So they make the dad wear the t-shirts with the bra and panties on it. At yeah. The... Like, uh, I'm sorry somebody castrated you, but. <laughs> I mean, I would feel sorry for a male feminist, but I don't know. I can't. Yeah. yeah. There's... Didn't Dave, David, explain to me what a simp was? I think. <laughs> A simp? Bird, yeah. Bird and um, Carr from Fagcast had to explain what simping was to us. I didn't know what it was before that, so I don't know if... Um, yeah, it's definitely a male thing. Yeah. I what is what it? a simp is. A simp is when a guy completely kisses a chick's ass and, like, foes feminism to get laid. Yeah, or something actually, like, like that. Racist it's feminism. like online um, white knighting. Um, but, <laughs> no. Yeah, basically, like, the one guy who's, like, consistently, like, commenting on um, a girl's post or something. It's just like, who are you? Like, where, oh what are you God. doing, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We call those you're stalkers never, and yeah, trolls, you're never but I guess they actually reach this chick. Like, let's, let's cut it out. <laughs> so, on that note, um, we were... We're probably over uh, Monica's time. I know you mentioned earlier that you were supposed to be done by now. So, um... Totally fine. It's been a pleasure. Plus, you blew my mind there at the end, which was awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We couldn't have cut it any shorter because then I This is when all the stuff come, real comes out. Um, <laughs> the mind vitamin all comes together. I've been drinking. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking that. So Basically, like, you had like three drinks. Have, like, <laughs> I always have at least three geez, drinks. beverages galore. <laughs> Well, um, all right. So as we wrap it up, I know I introduced our listeners to where they could sort of find you in the beginning, but, um, you know, you guys spout your stuff. Yeah, let me lay it on you. So the kind of overarching thing is the propaganda report, which you can find in any podcast feed that you use. And our latest episode of the propaganda report proper 187 is absolutely a must listen to. That's for sure. 
And then we also do a daily show, the Drive Time News Blast, which is 30 minutes every weekday of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. So that's pretty, I I think there's a real need for that. That's why we did it, because I used to look for it and couldn't find it. So you can also find that the Propaganda Report feed on any podcasting platform. And we have a website, thepropreport.com, and our patron, where you can get a lot of extra stuff, is patreon.com slash propaganda report. But why don't you tell uh, people who listen to our show what your show is so we can get a little crossover action? Jesse? Um, okay, so we are uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook, and we're on Parlor. although Cam said that he thinks Parler's awful but um we're all on those as voluntary vixens (laughs) and then um we had to be a little bit different on uh twitter because somebody stole our handle so we're at vixens voluntary yeah actually they had it i don't know but we're and if you want to donate to us for any reason um you can (laughs) you can uh reach us at uh the Vixens underscore voluntary on our Patreon. And I think that's it, right? Yeah. And then um, just sort of to, for your listeners, when you guys post on your feed, um, Jesse and I are obviously just two chicks that like to talk about <laughs> the craziness of society and kind of where we fit in, which is usually nowhere, but um, we at least fit <laughs> in um, with the community we found of, people that actually like liberty and, you know, actually want to have real conversations about things that matter in the world. And so, you know, it was driving us crazy that we didn't have outlets like that in real life. So, you know, Mm. here we are with the podcast. Thanks, Cam. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Our friend Cam from Make Liberty Great Again. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, we're part of the Make Liberty Great Again MLGA network. Um, So you can find our podcast, Cam's podcast, and a couple other awesome ones at MLGANetwork.com awesome all right well it is great stuff. thanks again for coming on glad we got both of you this time we'll definitely Yay. have to do it again at some point you know maybe we'll all be off some platform or another by then since it seems <laughs> to be the theme like uh that's how we progress um it's how we know we're doing something right. right maybe i don't know i hope well so um your listeners our listeners uh we'll catch y'all next time wherever we uh end up but in the meantime keep it sane keep it peaceful and keep it voluntary.